not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you and will act and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in or labor in vain, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I and rejoice with all of you. So you too, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Well, good evening. It's nice to be here. Thank you for your welcome. And uh, I was actually just sitting there thinking, um, 25 years ago, I think it was roughly, was the first time I came to speak at CE. Mm. So you were young in those days, Gillian. So was I. But they were. We've, um, we've grown older. But it's, it's really good to be back. Um, we pray for you, Aidan Rich Hill, um, and, and what you do here. We know it's a very, very good work. So keep going and, and be encouraged. And thank you, Rachel, for reading that passage. That's the passage that we're going to be looking at um, in a few moments' time. And Bethany, thank you for leading us in prayer and also for the band. Uh, thank you. Those are great songs. I always come here and learn a, new, a couple of new songs, so that's uh, no, no difference tonight. Let me pray first before we um, turn to the passage before us. Father, help us to understand our salvation and help us to understand what it means to work it out. We need your help because we are slow to learn and we're slower to obey. Will you help us now by your spirit? Thank you for your word. Bless us now as we study together. In Jesus' name, amen. So the, the title that I've given to the passage that I've been asked to deal with is Work It Out. But I want to start off with a story. Alan Redpath, does that mean anything to you? Those of us who are older, that is a name that we will know. Those of you who are younger probably will never have heard of him. But he was a writer and a preacher back in the 1960s and the 1970s. And uh, in his early life, he was an accountant with a, a pharmaceutical business in, in England. He was one of these high flyers. You know, everything he did uh, was turned to gold. I mean, he was a good-looking guy. He played rugby for his county, which is a very high level. Um, he climbed the ladder of success in, 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 in the accountancy world very, very quickly and very, very easily. Everything was going wonderfully well, except for his faith. He had come to Christ at a, a young age, but he struggled with this thing called commitment. And he continually felt guilty about this because he wanted to play on both sides of the fence. You know, he wanted to do church on a Sunday, but he wanted to go with the lads for a booze up after the rugby game. Continually felt guilty. So he sat down and he talked to one of his friends. And one of his friends said this. It's easy to have a saved soul 
and a wasted life. A saved soul and a wasted life. And those words haunted him for days, weeks after his friend shared them with him. He tried to brush it off, but boy, he couldn't. Everywhere he went, he seemed to hear, saved soul, wasted life. Saved soul, wasted life. Saved soul, wasted life. It really got quite annoying. Every song in the radio seemed to have, this is the chorus, saved soul, wasted life. Saved soul, wasted life. The chance of the rugby Fans at the side of the grounds seem to be the same. Saved soul, wasted life. Even the wheels of the train seem to turn out the message. Saved soul, wasted life. Saved soul, wasted life. Saved soul. You get in the picture? Even in his dreams, he kept hearing, Saved soul, wasted life. And he could take it no more. Eventually, he got down on his knees. And he surrendered and said, Jesus, you can have it all, every part of me. I don't want to have a saved soul and a wasted life. You can have it all. And God had it all. And God used it mightily. So here tonight, no doubt there are many saved souls. I don't know you all, but I know there are many, many of you are saved. You're a Christian. You know what it is to trust in Jesus. But how many of you are wasting your life right now? How many of you will waste your life in the future? And I do think that this passage before us helps us to think about not wasting our lives. Being saved, yes, but not wasting our lives. And so what we're going to do is we're going to simply go through the verses. No fancy headings, just you'll notice that sometimes I've made the, the, the font size a little bigger for some of the key terms. But you'll notice there how it starts off, therefore. And therefore, it links with what you did last week. And as just as Jesus obeyed the Father and went to the cross and died and became the Savior of you and me, just as he showed costly obedience, so should we. So Jesus is the example. Now we are to obey in a similar way. Immaturity is not for you and me, says Paul. Disobedience is not acceptable. Notice he says, my dear friends. In other words, he loves these people. He really does. Genuine concern for his friends. Once upon a time, they were absolute strangers. They didn't know each other. But now, they're not only friends, they're dear friends. And Paul wants what's best for them, just as your leadership team here wants what's best for you, that you have a saved soul and that you have a life that means something, does something great for God and his glory. As you have always obeyed, you notice that he says there, as you've always obeyed. That's an encouragement. He said, whether I'm with you or not, you have obeyed. Keep obeying, keep growing, keep maturing. And then he comes to this very, very important phrase, therefore highlighted. Continue to work out your salvation. Continue to work out your salvation. That's a clear command, isn't it? Continue to work out 
your salvation. Now, what does work out mean? What does it mean? Well, it's not like work out a puzzle or work out a riddle or work out a trick question. It's not like um, you, you go to school on Monday and you're, you're given a mathematical equation and you're supposed to work it out. It's not like um, a translation of, of, of German or French or Spanish, whatever you happen to do, and you've got to work it out. It's not like that. It's more like what you do in a gym. Some of you possibly go to a gym. What do you do when you're in the gym? You work out. The fitness that's in you is to be worked out. Paul says the salvation that's in you needs to be worked out. Work out your salvation. You are a Christian, aren't you? Because I think we need to stop there and I'm very thankful that McGilly started off by mentioning that fact. And he quoted um, John 3. Because to be a Christian, to be saved, you need to believe and you need to receive. Because you can't work out your salvation if you're not saved. You know that, don't you? And so I say to you, I ask you, are you a Christian? Jesus provides the only rescue, the only salvation, and he offers it to his people, and you need to receive it. If you're not a Christian, then I suggest that tonight you should become one if the Spirit leads you to that position. And if you need help, then you can talk to any of the leaders afterwards. But once you are a Christian, Paul says we need to work out our salvation. If salvation is in us, we need to work it out. Not work for our salvation, notice, or not work up our salvation, but work out our salvation. And we're to do it in practical ways. What are those ways? Well, we're going to look at those ways shortly in verses 14 to 18. But we're to show it. We're to do it. We're to be real. We're to be genuine. We're to be consistent. We're to be public about it all. We're to work out our salvation. It'll affect everything. Do you know everything about your life? Your witness, your speech, your service, your thinking, your living, your loyalty, your worship. Everything. It'll affect how you think about your future education, where you might work. Everything. Affects everything. Because he is God of everything. And we're to do it with fear and trembling. Notice that? In other words, deep awe, a sense of serious responsibility. It's not a hobby. It's not a, a fad. It's not a weekend thing. It's not a Saturday night thing. It's not a phase that you go through when you're young and what else are my parents going to let me do but go to CE? So I'll go to CE. I'll do the CE thing for a little while and then I'll go on to something else. No, it's, a, it's about working out our salvation with fear and trembling, with respect. And with awe and with a serious responsibility. I want to take this seriously. I'm not playing at this. That's what he expects of you. I'll tell you why. Life is short. And eternity is very, 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 very long. So work it out. With fear and trembling. Do it. But then there's the encouraging help. Notice the other little bit that's in a bigger font size. For it is God who works in you. 
to act, to will and to act according to his good purpose. There's no contradiction here. We have responsibilities, but guess what? God provides the resources. That's the good news. We've got a new purpose to work out our salvation. Got that? But we've got new power. For it is God who works in you. Now, this is typical of God. He does this many, many times. He says to his people, do something. And then he goes on to say, but actually, I will do it in you and through you and for you. Like, for instance, Moses. What did he say to Moses? Moses, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. But then what else did he say? But it'll be I who will lead my people out of Egypt. So the Holy Spirit comes and empowers us and enables us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. He, he enables us to do it. So tonight, I, I'm going to say something to you that's very important. Do not fear surrender to Jesus. Do not fear total surrender. Because maybe you're sitting there thinking, you know what, I like the idea. I like the idea of being one of these committed Christians. You know, maybe you guys are saying, you know, like, I'd like to be like Gilly. I want to be, I want to be good, doing this right to the very end of my life. I want to be serving my Savior, but you're scared because it's, it's going to be so costly to me. Can I do this? Can I possibly ever do this? And guess what? God says, "I'll do it in you. I'll do it. I will do it." Continue to work out your salvation. For it is God who works in you. Saved soul. Wasted life. Saved soul. Wasted life. Saved soul. Wasted life. Don't waste your life. You don't need to waste your life. There are lots of other options out there. But not one of them is better than the option that is before us tonight. To work out our salvation with fear and trembling. There's nothing greater in all the world than to have God work in you and through you. Nothing compares to that. Be saved. And then live. Live. Live for him. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. So what does this involve? Well, it involves action. And we're going to look at these five uh, verbs. There's no hiding away. There's no kind of uh, pretending or faking or playing at this. This is um, serious. And we're not told everything that this involves, but we're told five things at least, I think, in these verses that we got to do if we are going to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And actually, it's God who works in us to enable us to work out our salvation with fear I'm trembling. And, and there, there, there are five verbs. And again, I've highlighted it. The first one's do. Yeah, do. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Paul has already talked about obedience back in verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation. As you have obeyed. But he knows that there are two types of obedience, Okay. Do you understand this? There's two types of obedience. One is glad obedience, and the other is grudging obedience. And God's concern, you see, is, is not just that we do certain things, but we do certain things in the right way, with the right attitude, in the right manner. 
We can do the right things, can't we? But we do it in such a bad way that it leaves such a bad taste in everybody's mouth around us. And we lose the joy. And we just live a life of complaining and arguing. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Do you want to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Well, do all that you're supposed to do. Do all that you're supposed to do without complaining and without arguing. That's how you do it. You know, there is no fast track. There is no magic wand to enable us to work out our salvation and fear and trembling in an easy way, without effort, without work. But he will enable us to do everything without complaining or arguing. I remember when I was a teenager, I grew up in a home where there was five boys. You know, my mum had a hard time, you can imagine. I grew up on a farm, um, and the five boys, boy, we were constantly arguing and complaining and fighting. Does that ring a bell in any of your homes or families? We had chores to do on the farm, milk the cows, feed the calves. We had to empty the bins. We had to feed the dog. Everything was a, everything, I mean literally everything was a potential arguing case. Why me again? I did it yesterday. Do it yourself. Complaining, arguing, resentment. And I look back and say, how did my mum and dad stick us? <laughs> well, they loved us. And they knew that we were immature little teenagers who needed grace. Work out your salvation. Do the right things. Do the right things that God wants you to do. And do it without complaining. Do it without arguing. And do it willingly. And do it gladly. That's how you do this thing that God has called you to do. Of all people, Christians should be glad and rejoicing people. In Exodus 16, we're told that the people moaned and moaned up to God about everything. They moaned about the food. They moaned about the conditions. They moaned about the fact that they were they were set free from Egypt. They, almost, they wanted to go back to Egypt and start all over again. Back to be slaves again. That's what they did. God's people have always been moaning and complaining. And for us, you know, very often, I, I hear people say, do I have to? I mean, do I have to go to church? Do I have to go? Do I have to serve? Do, do I have to read my Bible? Do I have to pray? Do I have to be holy? Do I have to be careful what I watch on the internet? Do I have to? Do I have to? Do I have to? Well, if we want to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, yeah, you do. <laughs> Complaining and arguing denies God's sovereignty. It disrupts the unity of God's people. It discredits our testimony. We've got to get beyond complaining and arguing. And we've got to do what God wants us to do. There's a joy in it. And remember, he will enable us to do what we need to do. The second word is become. You see that in verse 15a. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked, depraved generation. You notice there are three things we're to become. We're to become blameless, we're to become pure, we're to, we're to become people without fault. Notice there, so that, so that, in other words, it's connected again to the arguing, complaining, and the doing. 
arguing, complaining, that sort of negative attitude has such damage to our lives. And, and you, we've got to get over that. We've got to get over ourselves. And we've got to start learning to be thankful and positive and gracious. But if we stop this arguing and complaining, and if we start doing what we're supposed to do, the result is wonderful. We we become blameless and pure, and people without fault. Blameless means um, a life with which no one can find fault. It's not perfection, by the way, because we cannot be perfect here on earth. One day we will be in, in the new heavens and the new earth, but we aim at being blameless, we, we aim to be like our father. The only one who's perfect is our father. There should be a family resemblance, shouldn't there? We should be wanting to be like him, blameless, like Jesus, who was selfless and kind and good. But there should be nothing obviously wrong in our lives. Our friends should not be able to say to me, you, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be saying that. You shouldn't be living that way. There ought to be a sense of an attempt to be blameless. And remember, we can't do it ourselves. It is God who works in us, doesn't he? Pure is the internal aspect of the outward appearance of blamelessness. It's, a, it's, a, it's the internal aspect. So it's what we believe and think inside our heads and our hearts. I know how easy it is to put on a good external show because you know, I'm an expert at that. I also know how you can so easily be inside, be impure and immoral and angry and nasty and jealous and proud. It's so easy, isn't it? So we're not only able to be blameless in the sense on the outside, we're to be pure in the, ins- in, in the inside. And we're to be without fault, which kind of brings the two together. The idea is that we be clean and we be pure while en route to heaven. Do you want to work out your, your salvation with fear and trembling? Well, Paul says, in the help of him, <laughs> you've got to become blameless and pure and without fault. And we're to do this, by the way, you'll notice, in a crooked and depraved generation. Crooked means warped and bent. Depraved means twisted and perverted. And two words that describe the generation in which you're growing up in. And it's the only generation you know. Again, some of us who are older have the benefit of seeing a previous generation, which was bad enough. This generation seems to be worse. But this generation certainly is crooked and depraved. So I can tell you, I know how hard it is to be blameless and pure children of God without fault. It's hard. I have every sympathy for you. It's hard. That's why what you're doing tonight is very important. And the reaction to what you hear tonight is very important. So we have a crooked generation warped in its activities, depraved because it's distorted in its values. So, so we have abortion now on demand. That's evidence of a crooked and depraved generation. We have 
drug abuse. We have the redefining of marriage. We have violence and greed and corruption. It's a crooked and depraved generation. And God says, in the midst of that, if you want to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and by the way, I will do that in you, then you need to be committed to becoming blameless and pure children of God without fault. The next, and there are only five, so we're almost halfway through. Shine. We're to do. We're to become. We're to shine. We're to shine like stars in the universe. This is about our witness, isn't it? So you want to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Well, then you've got a witness to your faith. The, the faith that is real. Your salvation which is real. You're to let it be seen. It's got to be clear. It's pointless being hidden. But what's the point in having these lights here, for instance, covered over? Pointless, because light is there to be seen. So your faith, your salvation, is not a, a private thing. It's supposed to be public. You're to show and to, you're to shine, just like the stars of the universe. Do you ever go out on a starry night and look up and say, wow, that is powerful. The problem is, most often, there's clouds there. We can't see it, but sometimes it's beautiful, isn't it? The stars of the universe. Wow. And that's the way it is supposed to be with us when we are shining for Jesus. It's, wow, look at that person. They're magnificent. See, our witness is to do two things, guide and warn. Guide, we're to show and we're to guide. We're to be an example. We are to be role models of godly living. So we're to tell the truth in the midst of lies, and we are to be an example of life in the midst of death. We are to be people who give direction in the midst of lostness. And then we're also to warn, because that's what light does too. Like, like a lighthouse, it warns of danger. We can't afford to be darkness. Here's the problem I think the church has. And maybe some of you, are, you're looking out and all you see is confused messages from maybe your parents or maybe from your church or your church leaders. And, and you wonder, they're no different to the world. It's, it's, it's sad. It's tragic when, when Christians produce darkness. It's sad. It's pathetic when Christians produce depravity, confusion. We're not supposed to be like that. We're supposed to shine like stars in the universe. Do you want to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Then shine. Shine. Two more. You'll see them there. Hold out and then rejoice. Number four, hold. Hold to the word of God. As you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. The word of God, of course, this precious book is the lamp to my feet, a light to my path, the psalmist says. It is good news. And it's crucial if you want to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, you've got to hold out or hold on to the word of life. It's powerful wisdom, full of purpose and content. And here's again something that I suppose those of us who have been through life, 
can say with, with um, total honesty that this is the provision of God for a bored people and a broken world. And we're surrounded by bored people. Maybe even, maybe even some are here tonight. Maybe you're just saying, when's he going to stop? Well, I'm going to stop soon. But if you're bored with what has been said here, with what, what that is saying, it, it says something to you that you need something more than you've got right now. The world is broken. The world is bored. We need the word of life. And for those who are dejected and defeated and depressed, this is the answer, the word of life. If you want to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, you've got to hold out the word of life. Hold it out for all to see, for people to hear. How are your friends going to hear the gospel unless you share it? Be a person of the book. May CE be an organization of the book, the word of life. Do you want to work out your salvation? Well, this is what it involves. And lastly, we're to rejoice. Together we are to rejoice, 17 and 18. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from my faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you so that you too should be glad and rejoice with me. That verse 17 is actually being poured out like a drink offering. is basically saying, even if I'm to die. And by the way, he eventually did die. He was in prison when he wrote this letter. He says, even if I'm about to die, as long as I know that you are working out your salvation, then I will rejoice. The alternative, of course, to rejoicing would be being disappointed. It's like running a race, he says, and not actually finishing it or running it and find that, well, he'd run and labor, he'd run for nothing. I suppose the thing that frustrates me in in my job as a minister is to see people who are wasting their lives, who are fooling around. They've they've received salvation or seemingly received salvation and they're wasting their lives and their disappointments. When I think of certain people, I, I don't rejoice. I should be able to rejoice, but I don't rejoice because there's nothing to rejoice about. I'm disappointed. I wonder when people think of you, when your leadership thinks of you, when your parents think of you and your spiritual living, you're working out your salvation, whether you're doing it or not, are they rejoicing? Or are they disappointed? See, when we do everything without complaining or arguing, when we be blameless and pure and without fault, when we shine like stars, when we hold out the word of life, then Paul rejoices. And so do we. So, as we come to conclusion, God's good purpose for you is this. Do you want to know God's plan for you tonight? I can say it confidently from the word of God. He wants you to have salvation. Do you have salvation? And then he wants you to work it out. And he says, I won't leave you alone. I will work in you. And these five action words are just part of that working it out. Salvation in you, work it out. Do become Shine.
Behold, rejoice. Five aspects of the working out of your salvation. If you aren't doing that, do you know what you're doing? You're wasting your life. You're wasting your precious life. And you might become an international rugby player. You might become the head of your firm. You might climb the corporate ladder. You might marry the person of your dreams. You might have money and success, but you will have wasted your life. We sing sometimes, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. My all. And you have a choice. Do I really want to give him my all? Sometimes we talk about great potential, and I'm, I, I love seeing the potential in young people. It's okay having great potential at 16, and maybe not achieving it. But when you get to 24, and you still haven't achieved it, or when you get to 48, and you haven't still achieved it, it's a disaster. Don't waste your life. Alan Path, man of God, had it all at one stage, but he didn't have this ability to work out his salvation. Saved soul, wasted life. Saved soul, wasted life. Saved soul for the wasted life. Be saved. Yeah, be saved. Don't waste. Tonight, again, you have an opportunity to respond. You're not here by accident. You're here by divine providential planning and care. But don't walk out continuing to waste if that's what you're doing. Enjoy your salvation and work it out. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for the example of Jesus who was obedient to death, even death on the cross. Thank you that, yes, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thank you that you have called us very clearly to continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And thank you that you don't leave us alone to try and do this, but you will work in us, to will and act according to your good purpose. So help us tonight to respond, to do, to become, to shine, to hold out, and to rejoice. You are a good, good, good God. And we know that you only want what's best for us. We trust you. We believe in you. And we want to follow you. Help us, Lord, to enjoy you to glorify you, and not to waste this precious life you've given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand as we